0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter, at Joe Orrico 99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where we post all of our new podcasts, articles, news, and notes. Everything that we put out on the baseball side here at Sports Ethos gets shared out on Twitter at BB. So make sure you're following over there. If you're not somebody who uses Twitter, definitely recommend it so you see all the different tweets from our guys as well. But you'll get pretty much all of that same content over at sportsethos.com minus the Twitter activity throughout the day, the random thoughts, the different notes that we do put out specifically on the Twitter side. But you do get most of it as well uh, just by going to sportsethos.com. I know Twitter is a weird place to be. We've commented on this a few times now uh, over the last several months. But it's a, it's a very challenging place to be. I use it because it has, it helps me grow. It helps my audience grow. Uh, you know, it's a good place to get your work seen. It's very easy to get, uh, you know, a good number of views slash impressions if you use the right hashtags. There's a lot to like about it from a content creator's standpoint. Uh, but I definitely understand that from just a regular, you know, consumer standpoint of someone who's just trying to see as much content without really you know, tweeting themselves if you're just trying to view stuff on there. It's definitely not as easy as it once was with the For You page and the following page, and it's, it's a little bit different than it once was. So I understand if you're not on there as much, but I definitely recommend it. Uh, you see all those notes that we put out on Twitter directly that do not get shared uh, on the website. But the good news is I go over those notes pretty much every single day here on the pod, uh, the ones that I put out. So we're going to do that a little bit later on in the show. We're going to start out the way we usually do, Talking about some different news and notes from yesterday, Uh, we're going to talk, of course, like I said, my notes. We are also going to talk about some streamers for tomorrow's games. I've highlighted three pitching streamers that I think are pretty viable, generally, mostly available in your shallower formats, and we are going to talk about them at the end. Now, I didn't really have this in the sheet, uh, but I think it is something that is going to be worth mentioning here. So, Mason Miller, if you guys are not familiar, he is a fairly highly touted pitching prospect. For the Oakland Athletics, he has been called up. They have called him up. Now, I am not 100% sure if they have announced a particular start because this is just all happening uh, right now. Let's see if they have said... uh, Oh, nope. He will be making uh, his Major League debut tomorrow against the Cubs. So this is uh, brand new. As I am recording here, this has just recently been released. Uh, He was called up, but he will be debuting uh, against the Cubs. I had not seen... Maybe they did say that before, but I had not seen it. So that's interesting. So we can kind of add him to that list of streamers for tomorrow that we'll talk about at the end now I did send out a tweet saying I was a little bit cautious and it's more so from like an NFBC standpoint where you have to bid on players I'm a little bit cautious of pitching prospects in general sometimes there's players that seem like they can't miss and you know your Grayson Rodriguez and whatnot and even then uh, sometimes it doesn't pan out exactly the way you think it will right away with Mason Miller the strikeout numbers are ridiculous. Like his strikeout per nine is like 18 uh, over the course of, and the thing where I'm cautious about 28 innings in the minors. He had a shoulder injury last year, so only 28 innings, but he struck out 53 batters in those 28 innings. So there is definitely some interest that I have there with Mason Miller. But I would be cautious if you are in a league that has bidding. Specifically, I'm talking about you NFBC players. I know that the majority of my listeners are going to be your, your Yahoo, ESPN, CBS, Fantrax type of players. Because that's where the majority of players are. NFBC is a rather small number of the overall total of fantasy players. But if you are in one of those leagues, a lot of people do still play in those leagues and consume a lot of content. I'd be a little bit cautious about the bids. I said in my tweet that I'd be cautious spending upwards of 10%. A couple people responded already saying that they think he's going to go for upwards of 20%. That is a huge risk for somebody where, granted, there is a lot of upside in terms of the strikeouts. The control has looked very good. The strikeout numbers have looked excellent uh, at the various levels of the minors, only making a couple starts at each level. We're talking about a couple starts in the complex league, a couple at high A. (coughs) Excuse me, it was three at high A. Two in AAA last year, one in AA this year, one in AAA this year. Not really staying at any one particular level for too long, which is good. He's moving up the ranks. But, you know, we're talking about a guy who's going to be pitching for a, a, a horrible team. Let's, let's call a spade a spade. The Athletics are on a short list of potential worst teams in all of Major League Baseball. The win upside is very limited. You know, you're, you're going after him for the strikeouts, and what we're hoping are going to be good ratios which we don't really know and even with the high strikeout numbers he did have some kind of shaky starts across the minor leagues as well you know there were some outings that were not as pretty for the most part it was it was okay but some of those eras and grant like i told you pretty small sample sizes but you know three games game started and only seven innings at high a last year it was a 386 era and his two starts at triple a last year it was a 540 era Uh, You know, we're talking about very small sample sizes. In his start at uh, AAA this year, was very good—eleven strikeouts. He did not allow any runs over five innings. That's a very good sign. But again, the small sample, the the small nature of the sample size that we're dealing with here leads me to be very cautious to go along with the team context as well. So, yes, I think he is worth a pickup. He was added in a couple of my ten-team leagues where there are daily moves. I'm I'm in a couple of leagues where there are no waiver wires whatsoever. It's just first come, first serve. That's what, the way my home league is, the way it's always been. I know it doesn't work for most people, the way they got stuff going on during the day. Uh, it's always been my, my favorite way to have the waiver system, though. It's just, you know, first to the punch bowl gets the gets the punch. Uh, I, I recognize that that is not generally the way it works, but, you know, he was added up in a lot of those leagues today already. Uh, Mason Miller was 10-team leagues, 12-team leagues, in the 15-team leagues that I'm in, they are weekly ads, so we'll have to see what happens on Sunday and I think in a daily changes league, you pick him up and you stream him tomorrow against the Cubs and, and you hope for the best. You see what happens. We see if he can actually, you know, translate those strikeouts to the major league level. If he's able to have that same kind of control against major league hitters, it doesn't always happen that way. A lot of the time it doesn't. You know, somebody who has gone up the levels very quickly, um, you know, even though he is, I believe, 24 years old. Uh, you know, he missed a lot of last year with the injury. He's actually going to be 25 later this year. So he's not the youngest guy. But I still worry um, a little bit about how it's going to translate. So I would would cautiously say, yes, you can use an ad on him in any league. I would say even 12 and deeper. I don't know if he's going to cut it in a 10-team league. I understand shooting for that upside. I'm just not sure I'm really there in a 10-team league. 12-team leagues, for sure. 15-team leagues, absolutely. But I'd just be cautious about the actual dollar number that you are bidding on Miller. I I know people are going to go, you know, talking a thousand dollar budget, one hundred and fifty, two hundred dollars. Probably some people, maybe even more. Maybe we see some people push two, three, four hundred dollars uh, bids. You know, forty percent of your bids. I, we could see it. I don't know. Every league is individualized. You never know how someone's going to bid. You might get them for for twenty bucks in one league because you you never know. But I I would be cautious. throw in more than 10% of your budget at him. I think that that's the absolute highest I would want to go. And even there, I wouldn't really want to do it. You're shooting for the upside. And at this point of the year, you're hoping for that upside. You're hoping for this year's Spencer Strider, which, you know, he's been, a lot of people said, oh, this is this year's Spencer Strider. You take the gamble. Yeah, you take the gamble, but make sure the price is right. Don't just throw, you know, all of your money at him and thinking that he is going to be the savior for your fantasy teams. Pitchers in Oakland, good ballpark to pitch in, awful team to pitch for. We have to see what this small sample size in the minors is going to look like at the major league level. So cautiously, yes, add him. uh, But let's generally pump the brakes a little bit on calling him the next Spencer Strider. Because Spencer Strider had maybe the best rookie season we've ever seen from a pitcher. It was on a very short list. So I don't be expecting anybody to replicate that kind of success. Let's talk Jacob deGrom. Oh, Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. We're off to the races. I mean, not in a good way. Uh, he's already been pulled from a start with an injury. It took till the fourth start. The good news that we have here, it was a wrist injury. He threw four no-hit innings against the Royals, and then he left due to a sore right wrist. Now, it's never really been the problem for DeGrom. We're always dealing with different arm troubles with him, elbow soreness, and we're worried about Tommy John. Wrist soreness is not something you typically see from pitchers. It's You'd think you'd see it more. Uh, the way that you know, just thinking about the motion, the way that you pitch the ball, uh, you'd think that there'd be more wrist problems, but it's not something you typically see. It's usually arm, shoulder, forearm, you know, something in the elbow. It's not usual, it's not usually wrist. So it's, I'm cautiously optimistic here in saying that <clears throat> maybe it's not going to take the Grom out for a long period of time. It doesn't seem like they are overly concerned about it. It seems like it was precautionary taking him out of the start. Um, they just didn't want to make the issue worse, you know. probably put some ice on it, do whatever they do to it. I think we just need to wait and see in terms of an update on DeGrom before we can hit the panic button. Because you immediately hit the panic button. Everybody, I hit the panic button. I have him in a couple of leagues. Actually, no, sorry, I haven't been one league. I just haven't been one league. Uh, but it's my home league. It's the league that I, you know, it's not the, the highest dollar number. It's like a $50 buy-in. Uh, it's the league that I want to win the most probably outside of maybe my main event qualifier. Uh, But I'm very nervous uh, when I saw that notification. uh, Jacob deGrom listed as day-to-day. I'm just thinking, oh my God, here we go. But the wrist is not something that I would be overly concerned about just yet. I haven't seen any updates on him today so far. Maybe by the time you guys are hearing this, there will be some more news. But at this point, um, I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be jumping out of windows just yet. But I can understand the the want to, uh, but we're, we're not quite there just yet with DeGrom. Let's just wait and see what kind of update we get from the Rangers. Let me just do a quick scan of Twitter here while I'm talking, because you never know uh, the way that news comes out throughout the day if there has been something even just in the 10 minutes I've been recording here. Um, but I don't see anything. No, it doesn't seem like there is anything so far on on DeGrom. We're going to lean towards the side of optimism here to this point. I'm not panicking just yet. Not panicking just yet. Okay. Now here's one that I do kind of want to panic on just a little bit, and that is Corbin Burns. Now there's a couple of things here. Uh, it's not his throwing arm. It's his left peck that he strained, which, again, weird injury to have while you are pitching. Uh, Your left pec, I mean, pitching is such an unnatural motion, right? To throw a baseball at the speeds that these guys are throwing it at, to throw it at any speed, really. It's unnatural to your body, so it doesn't shock me whenever there's really any injury, the more I think about it. But this is not something that you would typically see uh, from a pitcher. The way he was grabbing at it and motioning for the trainers, it doesn't seem good, but we don't have any further update on it to this point. My guess would be that Corbin Burns hits the I.L. Um, but I haven't seen anything saying that today so far. It was just the way that he was grabbing at it, motioning for the trainer. He knew he was done, even though it's not something that – I I don't know how this would really affect you in your pitching motion that much. Just think about it. Like, I I was a pitcher. I didn't pitch – at the I pitched at a fairly high level for my age, but never, like, you know – I was never going to go to the big leagues or anything like that, but I threw, I threw in the upper mid to upper 70s, like I wasn't crazy. Uh but I never can really think about it even just now sitting at my desk like trying to do like a motion. Yeah, I can kind of see it like stretching out. It's just a very weird injury to sustain during the course of pitching. So I I think I think this could end up maybe um maybe being an IL stint. The more the more that I look, I'm just looking at it now, the video again, the way he's grabbing at it, it's it's hard to judge because it's not directly related to the pitching arm, but if it's impacting the way that he is able to wind up, the way that he's able to build momentum in the course of throwing a pitch, then that could be something very serious. Now, I, I'm just trying to see if there's any met other medical updates or anything because in the the course of the... The day we live in today, you never know when there's going to be some kind of random update. The most recent thing I'm seeing is pretty much from last night. Like We haven't got any news today so far on either of these guys, on DeGrom or Burns, which I, I, would, I would definitely prefer to hear something. But I think it's, again, we kind of just have to wait and see before we do panic. But I think I am a little more worried about Burns than DeGrom just because of the nature of the injury at this point. And I, again, I don't really know so much about injuries. I don't know how to feel about that wrist injury. From what I've heard, from what I understand, from what I know myself, it doesn't seem like it's that serious. This pack feels like it might be a little more serious at the same time. And I'm basing that pretty much strictly on the reaction of Corbin Burns on the mound and him calling for the trainer. So not panicking, um, but I am still kind of thinking that we're probably going to see Corbin Burns hit the IL for an undetermined amount of time. We have to see still. I I don't know yet, uh, but at this point, both of these guys, a little bit concerning, and just adding to the heap of injured pitchers to this point in the season. Injuries in general and pitching performances that have been awful, just pitching as a whole has been just awful. Uh, And now we got a couple of more injuries. Gosman got lit up last night. Like, there's just a lot to go over. And we're not going to go so much into Gosman. We're going to talk more pitching Uh, outliers over and underachievers tomorrow when we have Nick Pollock on the show. He's the founder of PitcherList, PitcherList.com. He's going to be here talking with us about some of those guys who are outliers. So we'll talk more about pitching tomorrow, but the state of it in general at this point is awful. It is really, really bad. The ball might be getting messed with. Maybe there's something to do with the pitch clock. I I don't know exactly uh, what's going on. Um, But let's talk about Tony Gonsolin, because Tony Gonsolin is going to make his first rehab start on Thursday. He threw a 30-pitch bullpen session uh, on Monday, no issue. He did a fielding practice as well. So he's going to throw four innings on Thursday, and then he'll need one more rehab start. And then, you know, it looks like he'll be back within the next week or two. Tony Gonsolin, if he's available in your league, he's worth adding up. He's 80% rostered in Yahoo leagues. So take a look. One in five leagues, he'd be on the wire. Probably a more shallow league. I don't have crazy high expectations for Tony Gonsolin, but at the same time, he's probably somebody that you should be adding up in that rotation. You know, he was incredible last year. He got very lucky, uh, but even if he regresses, he's probably still somebody who is worth a back-end role in a 12-team league. And your 10-teamers, 8-teamers. I don't know that he's going to cut it, but I think in the 12-team league and beyond, Tony Gonsolin should be somebody worthwhile. Decent enough strikeout rate, 24%, and that was actually lower than the previous couple of years. Not massive sample sizes in those seasons, but we're looking at a 26, 27% kind of K rate. Last year was 24 So if you can get that back up to like 26, pitching for the Dodgers, you know, even if the ERA isn't what it was last year, which was 214, I think we can still see like a mid threes kind of thing, maybe upper threes ERA from Gonsolin to go along with decent enough strikeout to walk numbers and, you know, probably decent potential for wins. I think that he is somebody worth looking at. It won't be a lot of you, uh, but he is only 80% rostered in Yahoo League, so definitely go and take a look. Uh, He is probably somebody that's worth stashing for the time being. Now, something I do want to talk about that's not really fantasy-related, it is more just baseball and rules-related. They are experimenting with more rules. They've announced that in the Atlantic League, they are going to talk about different rules regarding pinch runners- And this has got to be one of the stupidest things I have ever seen in in my life following baseball. Now, I'm not a fan already of the rule changes they implemented this year. I know a lot of people are. A lot of people like it. For my money, if you're taking 20 minutes, 30 minutes off of a ball game, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. If somebody is a fan of baseball, they're going to watch baseball. If somebody wants to watch a game, you know, if it's two hours and 40 minutes or if it's three hours and 10 minutes – I don't think that that's going to change whether or not they're going to sit in front of the TV or go down to the ballpark. Maybe if it's on a, a school night, you know, you take your kid down, you get out 20 minutes earlier. That's the, that's the appeal, I suppose. From that perspective, sure. If the parents like it, whatever. At the end of the day, the changes that they made this past season look like nothing compared to this nonsense that they are going to be debuting in the minors uh, coming, I believe, this year. They're going to already try this out. So they're introducing a designated pinch runner limited pitcher disengagements to one per at bat so you can only step off one time per at bat and bringing back the double hook rule that promotes longer outings for starting pitching so you'd need to go 5 innings in a game or else you would lose your designated hitter for the game what the hell is that what are we talking about here the way especially the way that pitchers are going fewer and fewer innings at this point you're going to have no dhs you're going to have you're going to go through your entire bench going through pinch hitters and defensive replacements and all this nonsense because pitchers are only going four innings or four and two-thirds or three innings or getting shelled in the first if you're a Blue Jays pitcher. I, I don't know why they feel the need to do this. It's so stupid. Pitchers get hurt all the time and have to come out early. The team should have to be penalized doubly for that and lose their designated hitter because of it. Just ridiculous. Uh, the, the step-offs, the, the stepping-off, why? Why can't you step off more than one time per at-bat? It makes no sense. Like let me see what they are what they are reading here or they're saying here. Um, MLB limited disengagements by pitchers this year as part of an effort to create more stolen bases and speed up the pace of play. Pitchers in the majors are currently limited to two disengagements per plate appearance. They should not be limited in that at all, I don't think. I think that the pitchers should control the pace. That is what attracted me to being a pitcher. You are in control out there. You set the pace of play. It's not dictated to you by a clock or by how many times you can step off or grab the rosin or throw over to first. I think that they have done a tremendous job of ruining baseball if they if they do this. This is just so stupid. I I I, I I honestly am almost lost for words at why they would even try this out. Stepping off once or stepping off twice. How much time is it really saving if a pitcher steps off or not? Thirty seconds, a minute, maybe absolute most. If we're talking like Kenley Jansen, old school, or we're talking whoever, somebody who takes a long time. Kenley was the first one that came to my mind. It makes no sense whatsoever and maybe the stupidest one designated pinch runners so if you have somebody who is on the bench say a john birdie type or somebody who is very fast you designate him as the pinch runner he can then be substituted in for any base runner at any time without officially removing the base runner from the game What in God's name? I'm sorry, guys. I know this is not directly fantasy-related, but this is a massive potential impact on baseball going forward if these idiots attempt to implement this at the major league level. This is nonsense. This like, what are we talking about here? A designated pinch runner. So you can have somebody on your bench who is pinch running for Every everybody you have in the lineup, essentially. Every slow batter that you have in the lineup. you know Every time that Alejandro Kirk comes up the plate, every time that whoever comes up the plate, you just pinch run for them every time they get on, and then they're allowed to do that again in the next inning for a different batter, and the guy that you replace them for doesn't even come out of the game? Let me know if I'm being overly dramatic about this. I think this is some of the high, high-order stupidity from whoever is doing this, and I I don't know how directly involved Manfred is, it wouldn't shock me if he's all over it, knowing how absolutely brain-dead Rob Manfred is. It's It's unbelievable. If this ever makes its way to Major League Baseball, they are going to ruin it. And I don't know what the plan is. The Atlantic League is technically unaffiliated with Major League Baseball, but they've signed a deal several years back that they can test out potential rule changes. Maybe. This doesn't come to fruition at the major league level. We have to pray it doesn't, and I'm really hoping it doesn't because I don't even know who we're catering to anymore. What are we talking about here? Constant pinch runners coming in and out of the game? That doesn't exactly speed up the pace of play. I don't know. I don't know what what we're talking about here. I think MLB has talked out of both sides of their mouth, trying to cater to the casual fans more so than anybody else, and I think that they're doing a tremendous job of ruining the game of baseball. They are absolute idiots and i'm sorry i know this is not directly fantasy some of you might not even want to hear this some of you might not care but this will impact fantasy to some degree too you know let's say they do implement these stolen base rules where or not the stolen base rules uh this pinch runner rule then a guy who is like a john birdie who is a bench generally a bench player uh who could steal four or five bases a game for you is incredibly valuable at that point because they could rack up triple digit steals over the course of a season let's you know Esturi ruiz or jorge mateo or whoever you know whatever player you want to talk about who is like the top 100 percentile speed corbin carroll holy crap man he steals enough bases when he's in the lineup if he's sitting for one day pinch running every single inning stealing bases it's like you're playing a poorly designed video game it's like it's a it's like a poorly designed video game that's trying to imitate baseball but not actually give you baseball it's like an iphone game it's like an ipod game from the late 2000s that's what this feels like Maybe I've gone on too long, and I don't care. You know what? I I vent sometimes on the show. Usually, it's related to fantasy something or other, or you know, the Hall of Fame and steroids or whatever. But this is something I felt I wanted to get off my chest because it is just it's just so stupid, and it shows a fundamental lack of understanding of what baseball is. You substitute out somebody, tough shit. They're out of the game. It'd be like saying you can have a relief pitcher come in. Or a pitcher come in and throw you know, an inning in the third, and then you know, go pitch another inning in the seventh and then pitch to a batter in the eighth. It's like, "What the? What are we doing? It's just, it's just bad, bad business, Major League Baseball, but at this point, we shouldn't really be surprised by this considering who is at the helm, so we'll, we'll have to see. Um, but at this point, it looks really bad if this ever comes to Major League Baseball. All right, let's talk about some notes from yesterday's games that I made. Let's start with Patrick Wisdom. He's the hottest player in baseball. He's got five homers in the last four games, and he is tied for the Major League lead. Patrick Wisdom tied for the Major League lead in home runs. I know it's early, but I don't think anybody would have thought that was coming. He's tied at this point with Pete Alonso. I do think that Patrick Wisdom, despite the fact that he is going to eventually come back to earth, is somebody that is generally going to be worth taking a chance on. He's hit 25-plus homers in each of the last two seasons. He's got a little bit of speed, too, something that gets kind of forgotten about with Patrick Wisdom. It's not a lot of speed. He's not going to win you the category, but he won eight steals last year, four the year before. Considering the rule changes, he doesn't have any so far this year, but can he give you another eight this year? Absolutely he can. Between six and eight stolen bases, he's eligible at first, third, and in the outfield on Yahoo. So you... You got him all over the place there. Now, his roster percentage has jumped up. Uh, he's up to 70%, but I think if you can still get him, he is somebody that is going to be worth rostering for the power stats for a little bit of speed. You have to compensate for the bad batting average. It's not going to be pretty, but I think you can ride him out probably rest of the season in most leagues, considering the versatility. You know, If you've built your team around a strong batting average, a guy like Patrick Wisdom isn't really going to hurt you so badly. If you're a team that's batting 280, 290 generally, Wisdom's going to take you down a little bit, but the contributions that he'll give you on the power side to go along with some speed, I think that that makes sense to take a chance on him, regardless of your format. Maybe not in the shallowest of the formats, I'd understand that, because he will come back down to earth. He's not going to keep up, a you know, he's hit eight homers and 52 at-bats. He's not keeping up that pace. But can he give you 30 to go along with a decent handful of steals, good RBI, and probably good run totals? Yeah, I think he can. Probably RBIs will be better than runs. But overall, I think that Patrick Wisdom is somebody that you should consider adding at this point. All right, Corey Julks. I believe it's Julks. Might be Julks. I'm actually not too sure. I haven't heard his name said on the broadcast and I've been watching uh, so far. He has been, or the, the broadcasts I've been watching have been muted, so I haven't actually heard what they've been pronouncing his name as. But 13 of 42, two homers, five RBIs, eight runs scored so far for the Astros. In 2022, in AAA, he had 100 runs, 31 homers, 89 ribbies, 22 steals, and a two seventy batting average. 31 and 22 at AAA, not bad with a two seventy batting average. If he does start to get more regular playing time, then he is somebody that I would consider. Daily Change League specifically, you know, right now, he is playing kind of every other day sort of thing, usually batting seventh. If he starts to get more run, I think Corey Jules could be somebody that does have potential uh, value Anywhere Uh, in that lineup, we've, you know, it's arguably the best lineup in baseball, especially when when I'll bake, will come back. It's going to be very, very good. Uh, And will he play every day? No, not, I don't think at this point, but he is more just a watch list play. I I didn't suggest adding him in my notes from last night. He's just 1% rostered in Yahoo leagues. But he's somebody who could make some noise, and I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on him this year. Definitely putting him on watch list and seeing if that playing time increases, if there is an injury or something, and he's able to play more in the outfield there, uh, then that would be something that does interest me as well with Jules. I believe I'm pronouncing it right, but it sounds a little strange. Jules. Jules? Jules? So there's a chance that I am butchering it. Apologies there. Uh, But go take a look at him wherever you are and put him on your watch list. Only 1% rostered. Very sneaky play at this point. Josh Young uh, continues, I think, to be undervalued. Now, he was at 53% rostered uh, when I put these notes together. Josh Young is now at, let's take a look, 53 again. He hasn't moved up. He is down from last week. People He was 54 last week. There has been some people that have moved on from Josh Young. He's 17 of 59. He's got 10 runs, 3 homers, and 9 RBIs <clears throat> so far on the season. We know the potential is there. For him to be a fantasy, well, maybe not stud, I might be overstating it when I say fantasy stud, but can he give you like 25-plus home runs with to go along with a handful of steals and great counting stats in that lineup? Yeah, absolutely. When you're batting, I think he's usually fifth. Let me just double-check that. Fourth in the last game, usually been fifth. Playing pretty much every day, you've got a lineup that consists of Lowe and Garcia and Semien and who am I forgetting? Lowe, Garcia... Semien, I feel like I'm forgetting somebody in that lineup right now for some reason. Um, my God, right at the top of that order. Low, Semyon, Garcia, Young, Seager, of course, because he's injured. Corey Seager. Um, but when he comes back, that's just another guy who will be in that lineup um, you know, contributing more counting stats. Josh Young is not somebody who should be available, I don't think, in any leagues. <clears throat> he is currently only on about half of rosters at a pretty thin position in third base. I think he could be a borderline top 10 option at the position for the rest of the season. So Josh Young is definitely somebody to take uh, take a deep look at if you need help at third base. And even as a utility spot guy, I don't think he's the worst. I really think that he's somebody who can hit you know, 260 to 280 kind of range and give you 20-plus home runs in a good lineup. So definitely somebody to be keeping an eye on. Now this one here is interesting. Andrew McCutcheon, uh, he's looked really good going back to Pittsburgh. He's 16 of 53 to start the year, eight runs. He's got three homers and three steals to go along with seven RBIs. Now, Andrew McCutcheon, uh, a lot of people are not going to be adding him, probably. But I think that there is a little bit more there than we might be seeing uh, when you first look at it. You know, 31% rostered. You know, about a third of leagues have him. But I think that that number should probably go up a little bit. People are kind of thinking that he's done already, that he's washed or, or whatever. Just as recently as last year, he gave you 17 homers and eight stolen bases. The year before... It was 27 homers and six stolen bases. That's fantasy relevant right there. If you're hitting 27 homers and stealing six bases, you know, six, eight bases, he's projected across the various systems to have between seven and eight, or seven and nine, but he's already got three in the first 16 games. With these rules, with going back to Pittsburgh, and there's something that's not statistical there, but, you know, recapturing some of that early career magic, going back and wearing his old uniform, so far, so good. He's walking 16% of the time, if he keeps that up, 16.4% of the time, it would match a career high, strikeout rate career low at 11.9%. So far, so good for Andrew McCutcheon. You know, I think he could be a double-digit steal guy to go along with maybe 20 homers. The counting stats aren't going to be grandiose in that lineup, but they'll do enough to get you by, I think, in a lot of leagues, 12-team leagues. I think Andrew McCutcheon, definitely somebody that you should be taking a look at. 31% rostered, up 7% from last week. And so far, uh, the, res- the results have been very, very good for him. So I would I would definitely take a look if you need a, little bit, of, a li- little bit of outfield help. He's not really hurting you anywhere, just giving you a bit of production all across the board. Let's talk Alec Burleson, the outfielder for the Cardinals. He had a home run yesterday. He's looked pretty good, and he's playing pretty regularly uh, for the Cardinals as well. Now, I think he's worth a speculative add in your deeper leagues, but I don't think he's going to cut it in 12-teamers. Like he, he could end up having a pretty regular role there in St. Louis. But we're also talking about a team that has so many outfielders. And the Tyler O'Neill situation definitely influences my thought process here because we don't really know what's going to happen with Tyler O'Neill. He might get traded. He might just be somebody that they sit down a lot more than they should. And he has been sitting... Uh, you know, ever since there was that incident about him not hustling and rounding out, uh, you know, there was a bad call by the third base coach, and he sent him when he shouldn't have, and the manager thought he wasn't hustling. He's been kind of in and out of the lineup, and he's batting right down close to the bottom of it, so he's not in any good favor there with the managers, or with the manager, Marmol. Um, and there's a chance that he could be traded. And if that's the case, then there's more of a role for Burleson, I think, down the stretch, especially if he continues to bat at the top of the order. He could be somebody that is fantasy relevant. I just worry a little bit when you factor in Carlson and O'Neill, and you got Jordan Walker, and now Newbars back, and you got Burleson. You know, There's a lot going on in terms of the outfield crowd in St. Louis that makes me think that maybe Burleson isn't going to be a rest-of-season play. Now, I think he's speculatively worth adding especially in your deeper leagues i just don't think he's going to cut it in 12 team leagues i just i'm not fully sold on his role long term there yet in terms of the skill set i think it could be fine is he going to be like a league winner for you i think he can help you out because he's going to be at the top of the order giving you a lot of runs there's good power potential that we know is there he had 20 homers in triple a last season very limited speed batting average could be okay like he he could be somebody that ends up being a nice little fantasy asset. He could be like a you know a large new bar type for this year in terms of a Cardinals outfielder that kind of comes up and becomes fantasy relevant. That is totally possible, but at this point, I'm a little bit skeptical on on Alec Burleson. I just don't know that I'm ready to dive in with both feet in your shallow formats and drop somebody who is more established. I am at this point. Saying he's probably worth it in a 12 teamer? Probably. But even then, uh, you know, three outfielder leagues, it's going to be very hard. Three outfield, 12 team league, your roster in 36 outfielders. Is he one of the 36 best outfielders? Let's call it 40, even 45 if you factor in utility spots and benches. Is he one of the 45 best outfielders? I don't think so. Uh, you know, he's maybe. Going to be right on that edge if he's able to volume his way there with counting stats, but I think Burleson is more of a deeper league play. If you're in a 15 team league, absolutely tremendous add in a 15 team five outfielder league where your roster in 75 outfielders, you know, it's a big difference. But right now in your shallow formats, not sure that Burleson is going to cut it. Let's talk Brian Anderson. I didn't want to talk Brian Anderson again, but he went three for four yesterday. He's trying to trick you into adding him again. He, he tricked us a little bit to start off the season, and he got off to such a, he was the number one fantasy player for a little while, um, and then he cooled off substantially. He went 0 for, what is it, 10, 15, like 0 for 15, 17, or something like that. He's had a good few games, and I will caution everybody, if you are thinking about adding him up, or if you're still rostering him to not get too attached to Brian Anderson, the upside there is non-existent. He's not going to give you a lot of power stats. He's not going to hit for a high average. He's not going to steal bases for you. You know, it, it, the overall counting stats are going to be pretty limited in that lineup. Uh, I'm, you know, it's a decent enough lineup. But I don't think that he is somebody that you're going to get like 80 and 80 out of. You know, you might get like 60 and 60 if all goes well. And even that's probably pushing it a little bit. You're probably looking at like 50 and 50 in terms of runs and RBI. So I'm not running out of my way to go and grab Brian Anderson if you have him. I would suggest trying to sell him while you can because there might be a little bit of a window that creeped open again here uh, considering these last couple of games he's looked better. He's got RBIs in four straight. He went three for five yesterday. You might be able to package him up with somebody and sell him off, but I would not be getting too attached to him uh, at this point outside of deeper leagues. And even deeper leagues, You know, he'll have his maybe a short run for a little while longer, and then he'll be right back to waiver wires for the most part, I would expect. All right, let's talk pitching streamers for tomorrow now. Alex Cobb at Miami. Now, Alex Cobb, I am... You guys know. You you guys always know that I'm a huge Alex Cobb guy. Uh, The last start was not ideal against the Dodgers, but you're willing to give him a pass against the Dodgers. He looked good against the Yankees, even though they only let him go three and two-thirds. He looked pretty solid, six strikeouts. Seven innings against Kansas City the next time up, six Ks. He looked very solid there as well. That one was two runs. The Dodgers start did not go according to plan. Um, you know, two runs on eight hits. It wasn't great. But at the end of the day, not the worst against the Dodgers. I'm definitely willing to take a chance on him at Miami tomorrow. He's 56% rostered in Yahoo Leagues. He would be the guy that I would recommend going for tomorrow. Martin Perez as well. Uh, same 56% rostered in Yahoo Leagues. That's interesting. Uh, did I read? No, no. They are both 56%. I thought I might have like copied it down wrong looking at both of them. but. They're both available in about half of your leagues. Martin Perez, so far, so good, carrying over what he did last season, which I was very, very skeptical of, but started off with a good five and two-thirds against the Phils, got the W, another five strong innings against the Cubs next time out, and then he got the victory in Houston last time, five innings, four strikeouts against them. Uh he allowed, I believe two yeah two runs on five hits uh, against Houston last time out, so he's held his own against varying degrees of difficulty. You know, the two teams that were in the World Series last year. he's beaten both of them. Now he gets the Kansas City offense. that absolutely sucks to this point of the season, can't do anything. Uh, I think Martin Perez makes for a very viable streamer. You could argue that you'd want to take him ahead of Cobb. I think that they're they're pretty damn close at this point. And Kyle Bradish is expected to come back and start tomorrow against Washington. Now, Kyle Bradish was somebody who got a lot of hype in the preseason. I always call it the preseason, in spring training. Kyle Bradish was somebody who got quite a bit of hype, and, you know, understandably so. He looked pretty good. He went down in his first start of the year, only threw an inning in two-thirds against Texas. Had a couple strikeouts, looked pretty good in that outing. Um, But he's going to be starting tomorrow against the Nationals. Now, he is expected to start at this point. Uh, the different sites that I go to to see who is starting, they list him as the starting pitcher. I haven't heard an official announcement from Baltimore, but it looks like he will be starting against uh, against the nationals tomorrow. He went five innings in his rehab start on Friday, so it lines up fairly well for him to pitch Wednesday, even in giving him an extra day of the uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday to, yeah, no it's, it's regular rest. Um, I think that he'll probably give you five innings good chance of a victory going up against a piss-poor Nationals team. He's only 8% rostered in Yahoo League, so you can get him pretty much anywhere, and I think there's a decent chance that Kyle Bradish could do even more than just be a streamer. There's a potential for him uh, to be somebody who could, um, I don't know if he's going to be a game-changer this year for you, but somebody who could make some noise for you on the fantasy side of things. But guys, that is going to wrap it up for us today. Appreciate all of you guys hanging out, downloading, subscribing, following us over on Twitter. All of that means quite a lot. You guys can check it out, of course, at JoeOrico99, at EthosFantasyBB, and at SportsEthos.com. Tomorrow, like I have said, our good friend Nick Pollock will be here talking about pitching. We'll probably be playing bagpipes for half the episode because that's what pitching is at this point, just sadness. But... We'll try and get through some good, some bad, and some ugly with our good friend uh, Nick. He is one of the most knowledgeable people in the fantasy industry, specifically regarding pitchers, and even more specifically regarding starting pitchers. Encyclopedic knowledge of every pitcher in their arsenal. It's ridiculous. If you're not already checking it out, you should be looking at his SP Roundup. He reviews every starting pitching performance from the previous day, every, every single day. Uh, I think he's missed one day in the last, whatever, I remember telling him, or he telling a story, it was like one day in six years or five years that he's actually missed it. Every single day, uh, Nick is wrapping up those starting pitchers from the night before, doing it better than anybody, so you should definitely be checking out his work at pitcherless.com and on Twitter, at Pitcherless, But you will hear his thoughts here tomorrow on some over and underachievers. We are going to talk, and I'll give you just a little sneak peek. Sandy Alcantara, Alec Manoa, Grayson Rodriguez on the underachieving side. I'll hold back some of those names. And some of the overachievers, essentially just the entire Minnesota Twins uh, starting rotation. Joe Ryan, Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray. Those guys have been incredible to start off, and we are going to talk about all of them and more. But guys... Thank you so much for hanging out. We will see you again tomorrow with Nick Pollock. Until then, have a great night. Take care and cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks?